Hello, my lovely listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Ghastly Podcast with me, Nick, and Joanna. So this week is a very special episode. It marks the culmination of our three-part dance horror series, which has investigated the use of dance by various directors in iconic horror films over the last 50 years. Now, this episode, we look at Climax, which is the very first Gaspar Noé film that I've ever seen. I don't know about you, Joanna. Is it the first one that you've ever seen? No, yeah, it's the same for me, actually. What were your first opinions of, of Gaspar Noé going into this film then? Um, so I'd heard a lot about Gaspar Noé being a director who has a bit of a reputation for focusing on shock horror, mm. for example. And, you know, I thought, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm too sophisticated for this kind of thing, you know, maybe I'm, there's going to be elements of it that I find just kind of unsavoury and voyeuristic. But actually, do you know what? I really enjoyed Climax. I thought it was a really good film. I loved it. I liked it as well. I think there was a lot of shock in it, and that's very true. And and the things I'd heard about Gaspar Noé before the film turned out to be, you know... Kind of true. <laughs> the one that I had heard of before Climax was Enter the Void, and I knew that that was meant to be a really intense mm. film that sort of took you on a sort of crazy, psychedelic journey beyond the grave. Although I've also heard that actually, to be fair, Climax is not as extreme as some of his others, which you may find difficult to believe. So it's 1996 and it's deepest, darkest winter. Mm -hmm. After watching a series of audition tapes on an old TV set, we're introduced to a professional dance troupe through an elaborate, very, very iconic 10 minute opening dance routine. Oh my God, it's so good. Continuous take. I've rewatched it about five times. The music as well. I really enjoy the song that they're dancing to. The next day when I went into work, I actually listened to the opening track on headphones just to psych me up for the day. Leading this dance routine is Selva, who's the troupe's choreographer. She's played by Sofia Butella, who you know from The Kingsman. And watching the performance is the troupe's manager, Emmanuel. And she's got her son, Tito, with her, who's about eight years old. Shouldn't really be hanging around, but, you know, you get the sense that Emmanuel's stretched between having to work and having to parent. There's a protracted sequence that follows the dance where we slip around the cam- with the camera, eavesdropping on lots of little conversations happening between the dancers. You get a feel for the character dynamics, who's into who, who's pissed off with who, this kind of thing. And then we slowly start to notice after a second dance routine, which is filmed from the top, it's beautiful. um, You start to notice that everyone's acting a little bit off and there's a bit of anxiety in the air. And it begins to dawn on the dancers that someone spiked the sangria that they're all drinking um, to celebrate the end of the dance routine. And it's been spiked with LSD, they find out. And then what follows is a bit of a witch hunt and the people point immediately at the ones who haven't been drinking the sangria, obviously, including Emmanuel, the manager, and then Omar, who's a dancer and doesn't drink alcohol whatsoever. He's teetotal. Uh, But one of the troupe, Taylor, whose sister, Gazelle, much to Taylor's anger, is dating Omar, uh, seizes this opportunity to accuse Omar of spiking the sangria and everyone helps to bundle Omar out of a fire exit nearby and they lock the door. Bear in mind, it's freezing cold outside. Yeah. And we'll get back to that later. So while all this drama is unravelling, 
Emmanuel doesn't notice her son Tito having a cup of sangria and she panics when she realises, obviously, resorting to locking him inside an electrical cupboard to keep him safe. Not a good idea. No, funnily enough, it wasn't a good idea, was it? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, one of the dancers, Lou, she's also not having a great time. She didn't drink because she's pregnant, but she's not believed. And one of the other dancers, Dom, who's now very much under the influence, is is kind of raging a bit. He kicks Mm. her repeatedly in the stomach, which is hard to watch. Uh, She later tries to confront him on the dance floor, but everyone around them gets convinced that it was actually Lou who spiked the sangria. Everyone riles against her, taunting her, encouraging her to kill herself. Uh, Before she does herself any major damage, though, she starts to have a bit of a breakdown. Uh, One of the other dancers, Ava, steps in and helps her, kind of takes her away. Mm. And this is where you kind of start to see how she got in the state from, you know, the very opening shot of the film Mm. where she's kind of in the snow Mm. outside in the cold daylight. It's a pretty neat framing device where we get that shock image with with no context of, of Lou just crawling through the snow, as you say. And then we cycle back around to that. It's a it's it's a bit of a you know let's find out how the hell this actually happened kind of thing. So it turns out that Emmanuel, the manager, has lost the keys to the electrical room where Tito is now <laughs> hallucinating heavily and screaming. The lights suddenly go off and they're replaced by red power cut lamps. Tito is now silent, so the implication is that he's electrocuted himself and the dancers joke about it. But Emmanuel starts to actually lose her mind. Meanwhile, Selva, Sofia Vitella, is having a bit of a meltdown herself along one of the corridors. David, one of the dancers, has been pursuing her relentlessly and she screams in his face to make him back off. Ivana, another dancer, finds her and leads her back to a room, but David barges in um, and Selva is forced to have him leave. Then he stumbles across Taylor and Gazelle, the brother and sister, and they're having sex. And then Gazelle runs off to the main dance floor when when David discovers them together. And this is where the second quote, well, actually no, this is the third quote unquote dance sequence occurs in the film, only this one is way more improvisory and just demented. Everyone's crawling around, contorting themselves, having sex, fighting. All the while there's this disembodied camera sort of twisting and turning its way through what's pretty much a hellscape at this point. And so the next morning, we're shown that Omar is long since frozen to death outside and that Emmanuel has killed herself out of grief and guilt over Tito electrocuting himself. And then those dancers who are not dead or badly injured are still out cold. Uh, and with one exception, there's a character called Psyche, who we see in a room with a lot of books on hallucinogens, dripping liquid LSD into her eye. And so we're left suspecting at the end of the film that it was actually Psyche who spiked the sangria. Do you think that's true? Um, I think it makes sense if you look back at the entire film and kind of the clues that are presented to us. So, for example, if you remember in those interviews at the very start of the film, um, Psyche is talking about when she used to live in Berlin and she's saying, like, oh, God, yeah, you know, the drug culture over there is just, it was crazy. It was just too much for me. Like, so there was this true. guy I used to know who used to um, drip LSD into his eyes, etc. And then also one thing that, so you know the 10 minute dance scene at the start, obviously, the iconic one. So obviously I've watched it again on YouTube. It's very, very good. And in the comments, people actually make the really good point that you don't see Psyche even until about halfway through. The Pretty much oh. everyone else appears, but she only enters the fray around halfway through. And so if you think about it, that's plenty of time for her to have spiked a sangria. But then there's also other interesting interpretations as well that could also... I think the film leads you into believing that Psyche spiked a sangria, but I don't think... 
I think the ambiguity also means that it is valid to say, oh, maybe it was Emmanuel, maybe it was, um, I don't know. I don't think it would have been Omar, to be fair. I don't see how that would make sense. Maybe it was Lou, etc. Do you think it's effective having that question pretty much unanswered at the end of the film? Um, I do, because I think at the end of the day, the question of who spiked the sangria is not necessarily the main point of the film in the first place because regardless of whoever it mm. was it's still everybody's true kind of not well not true selves but everybody still kind of bears a level of personal responsibility for the way that they behaved under the influence mm. and obviously the consequences was that kind of the ugliest and rawest parts of themselves were exposed and so the hell that they found themselves in was partly of their own making but at the same time it is important to question okay who's fight sangria because first of all why would they do that was that their whole intention in order to kind of bring everybody down and second of all who is the kind of godlike figure behind the scenes orchestrating this exactly i think it's it's a plot point that's meant to just lead you to that situation where everyone is entirely pushed out into a realm of freewheeling madness where very dark sides of of humanity start to get exposed in ways that no one was predicting no one was expecting it manages to sort of tightrope its way between pessimism and optimism i think it's quite realistic but it's definitely meant to be a very intense and uncomfortable watch mm, i think i would argue there's perhaps a sense of nihilism in the film that can at varying points manifest itself either pessimistically or optimistically. Because say, for example, you know, at the mm. beginning of the dance scene, there's kind of those words in French that flash on the front of the screen, which say, I can't remember exactly what the phrasing was, but it was like, basically like life is temporary, life is an illusion, etc. But it's also phrased as, well, life is like a temporary privilege or a dream or something. And so I think there is that kind of idea of, hedonistic celebration and obviously we go immediately from that message right into that amazing dance sequence of just pure mm. expression and vitality but then at the same mm. time obviously there is the notion that eventually everything goes from this kind of hedonistic celebration and joy to this very suddenly and very rapidly and almost hellhole of um, mm. kind of human nature extending itself too far. And so I think it kind of alternates mm. between the two because it also at the same time mm. you say, obviously with the question of the LSD as well, and in terms of the way it makes everybody behave, there is no reason why LSD, well, obviously there is because it's a hallucinogenic, but there is no reason why, for example, being spiked with LSD and sangria should make people behave in ways that include setting each other's hair on fire, kicking pregnant mm. people in the stomach, etc. That is not... Like LSD does not make you into a nasty person, for example. And so there is this kind of idea of that once these kind of certain structures of society and what we think of as reality are stripped away from the dancers, that then these kind of true selves that were always there all along, these kind of animalistic true selves and nasty selves come out but then at the same time you do see these kinds of moments of relief as well because not all of the characters do end up doing that so for example like selva and eva do help out lou when they find out she's pregnant for example like lou never does anything wrong and she gets chased mm. out and even say for example psyche obviously if she did spike the sangria 
then she has essentially just assaulted everybody and has also obviously led to um, the deaths of multiple people. However, mm. she herself seems to be in this kind of almost ascended state at the end. She's fine. She's the only one who's all right, mm. unscathed. Well, again, that's perhaps another reason to suggest that she's the one who spiked it. Because if she's got such a high tolerance of LSD, then it poses no danger to her. The way she acts at the end, it's very cold and sort of robotic, really, in a way. Mm. She seems incredibly detached from just the, the complete chaos that unfolded the night before. And she's sitting there in her room and with her books and going for round two. And you you, you wonder what's going on in her head, really. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned that quite interesting thing about LSD exposing a darker side or a sort of quote unquote, you know, the id to the to the ego, to the superego. How do you think dance could fit into that? Because the kind of dance that we see in this film, it's it's obviously stylistically very different to the two types of dance that, that are displayed in Suspiria, the original yeah. and then the remake. Um, of course, it's it's a lot of dance that's, that's evolved from, from ballroom culture. It's a lot of voguing, there's crumping, mm. there's bone breaking. It's very different from this kind of formalised ballet of Suspiria. And even the, even the contemporary dance in the 2018 Suspiria is a world away from mm. this. And it's interesting because when we were talking about that dance, we were talking about it in contrast to the the dance of Suspiria, the ballet, the really rigid, mm. regimented moves that were prescribed by teachers of ballet to students. And once again, it's almost as if we've hopped further along that line of development and and this kind of dance that grew up in an underground, in a sort of very urban environment, mm. very um, freely creative and, dare I say it, less... Um, elitist yeah. than, than, the, than the, the dance, uh, the contemporary dance that was being developed earlier on in the 20th century. Mm. It's almost as if we're seeing an even looser and even more energised and expressive and anarchic form of movement in this film. Well, I think as well, the way in which the kind of dance that the dancers in Suspiria uh, engage in um, is different to that of Climax also kind of fits in to the way that their stories function. And so, for example, mm. saying in Suspiria, obviously because they're mainly ballet or in a 2018 remake, contemporary dancers. And in those, they're very highly choreographed. They're playing characters a lot of the time. And they're kind of, mm. through dance, they kind of lose their sense of selves through the body to become someone else. Whereas in Climax, I don't know if, say, ballroom and crumping, etc., are more of an idea of, more freewheeling self-expression as a kind of this is me, this is me at my most vital and in tune with my entire body rather than, say, for example, in ballet where you're kind of playing a character. I don't know, you're playing the main character of Swan Lake, for example. There's more of a authentic means of self-expression through dance. And it is still an idea of losing the self, like we were talking about in Suspiria, but rather than being losing yourself to dance it's more losing your kind of external masks and just becoming this completely mm. uninhibited version of yourself and i think obviously mm. you can immediately see the parallels of that with the lsd that it's obviously 
drunk by everybody pretty much immediately after the dance and I think something that's also really interesting is like you say obviously so the dance styles that they use in climax are very associated with kind of more modern like 1980s onwards very urban environments and I think as well obviously you see that in the composition of the students from the dance crew so for example a lot of them aren't white a lot of them are LGBT it's kind of an even mix of women and men for example and then also the way the film as a whole it also starts with that um, assertion of this is a French film and it's proud to be French and it's got this big French flag in the backdrop. And so there's simultaneously that thing of, thing is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? There's simultaneously the fact that the film is like, we're pr- this is a pr- French film and proud of it and then immediately shows this kind of very diverse cast of dancers who may have, especially in the 1990s, been typically excluded from the mainstreams of what French culture is supposed to be. And then there's also perhaps that assertion of, especially in terms of the wider film industry, it's like, yeah, this is a French film. This is about France. We are French and this is us being French because obviously, especially non-Anglophone cinema, um, particularly over the past few decades, has obviously become increasingly weakened in terms of cinema business and cinema industry. And so I also kind of like that self-assertion immediately before this kind of very joyful dance of self-expression of, yeah, we're French, get used to it, deal with it. This is France. It's almost as if the the group of dancers and, and the school uh, itself, the building that they're within, sort of marks the, the boundaries of its own little universe, doesn't mm. it? And we're seeing a, a sort of microcosm, uh, an almost sort of utopic community at the beginning, or at least what is re- represented as a utopic community mm. of um, of colleagues, just starting to sort of eat itself from the inside and destroy one another on the influence of this LSD. And I think it was really interesting what you said about the contrast between the dance in Climax and the dance in the Suspirias, where um, this type of dance that they perform is, is way, way more attached to their sense of identity and a means of self-expression. Mm. And that has to be contextualised in the film's use of improvisation, yes. which is a real central defining feature of this film. For example, the, the script was only, what was it, five pages long or something like yeah, that? Yeah, very short. It's many more pointers for, okay, this is what your character is like, this is your character's backstory. And then the actors are just kind of told, especially in those conversation scenes after the first dance, but before the overhead dance, while they're all drinking the sangria mm. and don't realise at that point what's in it. All of that pretty much is improvised. And in a way, it chimes with the use of the of the LSD as a kind of activator, sort of catalyst for, mm. for, for wild, uninhibited expression, yeah. good and bad. And it's that sense of like a thunderbolt of inspiration that mm. that hits the individuals in different ways. And it reminded me a lot of like the Bacchanalia in, yeah. in Roman times and the idea of taking in substances, mm. you know, wine, things like that, and then deliberately working yourself into a frenzy so mm-hmm. that you could purge yourself of emotions and, and achieve a kind of catharsis. And I think... In a way, that's definitely what we're seeing with Climax. We're seeing a really sort of in in places violent, in places beautiful catharsis Mm. emotionally and where where everything gets sort of pulled out into the open that was once expressed just in small conversations to one another in the sides. Everything gets wildly exploded into, into actions. 
Interestingly, um, I found that Gaspar Noé actually stated during the production of the film that it was very peaceful filming this film, which is hard to believe when you just see the, the chaos, the violence and the harassment that's happening on screen. And there were no arguments off set, no use of alcohol or drugs, which just is a testament to, to these guys' abilities to perform. <laughs> your point about the bacchanina i also think that it's very relevant in terms of obviously i suppose on one hand you could say oh, well that's the only way that would make sense in terms of the plotting but the fact that sangria as well is a drink that is kind of always prepared in kind of like one big what's the word i'm looking for jug you know what i mean the point is it's a very communal yeah. drink it's kind of this centerpiece of the party mm. and so the whole experience is an experience which is very much communal and i think again with the dance that's another thing that really comes into it and so for example we see a lot of in Susperia, we see a lot of um susie in both of her um depictions kind of dancing alone practicing alone whereas you never mm. really see that in this film everybody all the dancing is this big shared communal experience of ecstasy obviously they do perform together in Susperia and yen but there's also this kind of very individualized idea of being an individual part of this larger whole, mm. whereas in um, and so, climax, and the whole thing only works because it's a whole. And Susie is specifically singled out as the protagonist of Volk, for example, isn't yes. she? Yes. Whereas there is no real protagonist of this dance. Absolutely, it's in stark contrast, as you say, to to climax, where everyone seems to be on almost equal terms in the way that they share the dance together. And the idea of that stepping in, stepping out, admiring one another. Um, working off one another's improvisations, creating one's own mm -hmm. improvisations from that. Um, it's, a, it's a much more tightly knit feel, absolutely. And it's far less um, solitary a practice than what we see in, in the two others, in the two Suspirias. And it's interesting what you mentioned about sangria, because Gaspar Noé actually commented on his decision to, to use sangria. He said that he had very strong memories attached to the drink because it was what he used to use when he was younger mm. to, to get him and his friends drunk. And so that feeds quite nicely. Oh yeah, sangria into... is great. Love sangria. Sangria it's is delicious. Lovely. I once had this one that was, it was a shot of uh, like a tiny little bit of absinthe. Ooh. It was like a little kick. That was really nice. Had that in Madrid on my holidays. And it was nice. It was delish. Yeah, it was oh, just a wow. tiny little bit. No, I know. It's sangria. Sangria can make anything nice. <laughs> Even absinthe. Yuck. Yeah, so I think it's quite nice that Climax, as, as horrible, as sort of dark and intense as Climax is, it feeds into quite, it's into a sense of nostalgia for, for Gaspar Noé. Mm. And also for hanging out with his friends. Exactly. So that in turn adds another layer of theme in, in terms of communion. And community. Although I have to ask, um, what do you think about the fact that, say, obviously, as we were just saying, the opening dance and pretty much all the dancing in general, obviously there is that kind of element, I suppose, 
in the overhead dance where they become more individualised and it's more of a dance battle in a circle. But the point being that mainly the dancers of the film are very focused on kind of dancing as a team and dancing as a group and a community. But actually when you see their conversations at the start and the way that they, which they behave to each other, there's obviously clearly also a lot of animosity and rivalry and jealousy within that group. I mean, some of the ways that some of the men talk about the women is extremely misogynist and extremely sexually violent. Obviously, later, once everyone's under the influence of the LSD, people's allegiances to each other, not only as friends, but also as just kind of fellow human beings, start to fall out of the window. What do you think about the fact that, what even that suggests about perhaps, I don't know, human nature, if we can go from this kind of, this is me, well, this is us, rather, dance of everybody together and then once the LSD is consumed everything just immediately turns into this kind of free-for-all of violence. You want to think that perhaps the dance portrays this group as being more tightly knit and more cohesive than it actually mm. is so it's it's almost a fault in terms of what I said earlier maybe it's a false sense of utopia that's established at the beginning that, that that then starts to crumble and give way to this more dark vision of, yeah. of of human relationships. It's quite powerful how the improvised conversations and and that yeah their aspects of misogyny and and references to sexual violence and um, just their bad vibes in general they do starkly juxtapose with this sense of coherence that's given in the in the, in the first dance. But then we, we immediately slip back into another dance routine, a dance circle where everyone's working together seemingly, or, or, or there's this kind of mutual sense of respect and yeah. space given to one another. Like there are these moments of individualism when kind of they get in the middle and do their dances, but ultimately, even with those brief moments of individualism, the main crux of the scene is just kind of very communal experience and of also giving way to each other, as you say. There definitely are these themes of isolation and togetherness that weave their way through the film. And I think David's quite a good character to look at that from, yeah. because especially in the second half, he's he's moving through the, the school, going from person to person, from room to room, looking for a form of engagement. So mm. he pursues Selva. Selva says no and screams in his face when he won't stop. And he comes into her room again when she's having sex with Ivana and she has to push him out again. So he faces this kind of repeated rejection of his advances, not learning from it at all. But then he moves on and he finds Gazelle and her brother. And once again, it's this sense of being ostracized from connection. Yeah. Of course, in this situation, it's entirely justified that he's being ostracized but that contrasts really powerfully with the final sequence where everyone's together physically mm. in on, writhing about on the floor in that final sequence where the camera's moving in these really crazy contorted ways over the dancers and they're kind of deconstructed into sort of just flailing limbs and and torsos mm. and of course they're together and and in some ways they're sharing in this experience but in other ways they're entirely on their own yeah and i think that's quite a powerful point from gaspar noe mm -hmm. it seems like he's trying to tell us that there are always measures that we can take to try and feel more together as a, as a group as a people mm. but you are always on your own at the same time and dance can establish a sense of sort of physical togetherness and sex can do the same thing. But at the, at the end of the day, 
you're still a body on its own, mm. if that makes any no, sense. No, it does make sense. And I think, again, it's interesting that the opening shot of the film is Lou covered in blood in the snow on her own. And obviously mm. with Lou and Omar, both of them get cast out on their own alone into the cold. So literally being frozen out of the group. And so all of this community that they literally just had 20 minutes ago in the film is so... Mm. I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is, but it can be taken away so easily when the community turns on them because it is also a group thing, the act of actually kicking them out. It takes like a good 10 dancers to all decide to turn on them and remove them. Those scenes where people are getting riled up on the drug and they they just go for people. Mm. For example, the, the scene where they're attacking Lou verbally and like taunting her and telling her to kill herself. That was definitely the most uncomfortable yeah. part of the film, I think, in my opinion. Um, because I genuinely thought she was going to do something really awful. Of course, she does slash her face with a knife, and that is bad, but it just had me on the edge of my seat. Yeah, like, that's such an uncomfortable don't scene. Do anything. Some people react in a quite loving way when they're on the drug, but then other people become incredibly self-interested, like David, for example. Mm. And I think it's interesting how the film shows you that spectrum and it, and, it, and it gives you a sense of the various reactions that you can have and how that reflects a sort of a slight pessimism. And imparts optimism about human nature in general. What do you think about the fact that the film is set in the 1990s? rather than the modern day. Because I understand understand that part of Gaspar Noé's reasoning was, well, obviously it wouldn't really make sense in the modern day because in the modern day you'd just have a phone and you'd be able to call, like, the ambulance, etc. Or, like, Omar mm. would be able to find his way out of the snow using a phone. But I also think that perhaps there's something interesting to be said about what we've just been saying about community and then alienation in a way that kind of makes the most sense if the film is set in the 1990s, which I guess you could see as this kind of transitional period in terms of the way that we interact, especially using things like the internet and phones. So I don't know, do you think that a 90s setting is also relevant in that way to what you were just saying? Obviously for the, the you know the the subcultures that the film's trying to highlight and the music that was inspired by these subcultures. Oh my god, the soundtrack is so good. That entire <laughs> sequence where um Selva is like realizing she's high and then like she's trying to get her tights off and she can't. Apparently that's a real thing that happens, by the way, sometimes in your legs. Really? I can't remember what it's called, but like some kind of constriction. You know what I mean? And like she get, <laughs> kind of gets her hand stuck in her tights and she can't get out and she, she starts panicking because she feels like she's never going to get them out again. And then she kind of sees Emmanuel and, you know, Tito is still locked up and Emmanuel's like, I've lost the key, etc. And then mm. David's bothering her and all the while in the background it's just window liquor playing and it's such like the ideal song for it. And I just love the way that music is used it's this kind of relentless driving rhythm because it doesn't really ever stop. The music's playing constantly throughout the film, but of course, you know, you you, you get sequestered in a separate room here, a separate room there. Um, you focus on different characters at different times when they're taken off and you, you see the, the conflict between them. But you always have this thudding dance beat coming through the walls, or at least um, it's present there in the background in the mix, just very quietly. 
and it does create this sense of just something unstoppable just unraveling sensory force of like mm, rhythm you can't and escape movement it. and the fact that it's happening at night and the fact that there's also no windows at all on this building it's very claustrophobic and in the single take you're getting led down this sort of labyrinth of of corridors and side rooms and there's even this fake forest wall that Selva encounters when she's having her her meltdown yeah this quite tacky forest wallpaper depicting a, a quaint little road scene momentarily manages to calm her down I thought that was um, an interesting thing for Gaspar Noe to put in there because it reminded me of how people who take LSD often place themselves in uh, context, like natural contexts yeah. or they sit outside or they make sure they're near um, trees or grass. And for these characters, of course, first of all, it's winter, so there isn't really that option, but then they're also trapped inside this incredibly um, cold building where everything's man-made, everything's very uh, angular yeah, say, and sharp. Yeah, no windows. In, in that sense, it's it's the opposite of something like Midsommar where everyone's hallucinate. well, everyone's um, experiencing their trips in very natural, bright, sunny settings with plenty of flowers and greenery around. Uh, and it lends its own kind of twist on the idea of, of being away from nature on a drug that's perhaps meant to feel you, make you feel more connected yeah. into that greater sense of togetherness. With the natural mm. world. It's almost kind of like it's taunting her, kind of the fake forest war, because all the while, mm. even while she's looking at it, you've still got that constant footing dance beat in the background. It's quite a sad moment because you see the glimmers of, of that connectedness kind of emerge briefly, albeit in a, in a super artificial, literally two-dimensional form, and, and it just fades away again quite quickly. And it's reminiscent of the beginning when you do have this sense of connectedness coming out of the dance that then dissolves very rapidly as, as everyone starts to, to realise they're high. Ça va? Les gars, vous êtes trop bourrés. Moi, je vais me coucher. So, Nick, there is something that I thought I've not actually seen a lot of critics talk about with Climax, but I did find one article about it. And I guess it's something that I also noticed while I was watching the film. What do you think about the way that the film portrays race? Because obviously, actually, I would say the majority of the dancers in this case are not white. And what you tend to find watching the um, scenes at the beginning where they're kind of talking amongst themselves, the most sexually aggressive of the men are always the black men. Obviously, the whole thing with Taylor and Gazelle, they're both black as well, for example. And then Dom, who kicks Lou in the stomach, is also black. And I thought that it was kind of interesting because there is this kind of sense in the film, obviously, of the LSD kind of revealing everyone's kind of like most animalistic, uncivilised self, that the characters who seem to get the most of this, other than... Daddy seemed to be... Is that what he's called, right? Daddy? DJ Daddy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. DJ Daddy. <laughs> um, seemed to be the black characters. And, I mean, obviously you could say, oh, you know, it's just coincidence, but, you know, is it? 
Is that I... what Noe was... I'm, I'm sure he wasn't intending to imply that, but I don't know, perhaps it's just subconscious. Good point. I haven't read the script, uh, so I'm not sure how much of it was steered in that direction. And, um, of course, I, I'm I'm really honestly not the first person to to ask, but I, I I'd like to think that it was an unintentional thing that happened. It was just a it was it was a coincidence that that's how the film came out. But at the same time, you have to wonder whether Gaspar Noé has a responsibility as a director and overseeing the edit that that's what ends up coming out. These representations of what are left. I just thought it was interesting that there seems to be kind of such um almost easy delineation apart from Gazelle obviously because she's a victim of her brother but especially with the men it seems like mainly the kind of delineation of the people who kind of go a little bit crazy from the drugs seem to be the black characters and kind of the more victimized characters seem to be the white and arab ones i just thought that was interesting the way that that kind of manifested itself i well there is david who is very sexually aggressive um, towards Selva and others. Um, it's weird to say that balances it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's definitely not the right way to phrase it. No, I it. know what you mean. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, it's something that I didn't pick on, up on when I was watching it. And obviously you could also say, sorry, another thing that I've just realised, not that I, and I think it's really good that this style of dance was used, but obviously things like voguing, ballroom, crumping, etc., they all mm. tend to be associated with black communities, especially in America. And so I don't know. They were created yeah, by black exactly. communities, weren't they? And so I don't know, obviously, but I also I would hesitate to suggest that like this is problematic because obviously that opening scene at the start of the film is so good. I think it's so you know, joyful. Mm. I don't think that the film is trying to imply that like this kind of style of dancing, it's kind of inhibition or rather letting go of your inhibitions is a problem. But I just think it's also another interesting thing how it's very, it's kind of like urban, kind of like working class, black dance styles. And then it's the black characters who tend to, within the film, tend to go to the most extremes in terms mm. of kind of like violence and sex. Well, I, I'm, I really can't say for like regarding the the way that they've ended up being portrayed, you know, the, the subtext of those depictions. Mm. But I would say that regarding the dance and the way that the dance is used in the film, as far as I know, this film was a work of real collaboration mm. um, with the dancers who are all first and foremost dancers who are then performing as actors and No, dancers. that's very true. It's but, also very crucial to the film that obviously the vast majority of the cast are dancers first, actors second. Mm. So I think what you're seeing is a very honest and realistic and spontaneous depiction of these of these individuals um, expressing themselves and um, displaying, demonstrating their skills and their passions um, together as this unit and on terms that are quite equal. Um, and of course that, you know, that leads us to, to consider to what extent is the director, um, the writer director, um, manipulating various elements of the film. And of course you have to say that film, film is a highly, all forms of art are highly manipulated, even forms of art that involve improvisation and spontaneous action. There is always a layer slash layers of editing and fixing and, manipulating 
that, that then get added on top and then change innately um, the performances, the, the material itself. But well, it's hard to say. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I definitely, because obviously I haven't just like plucked this out of nowhere. Um, because obviously I did read an article that was written in Yahoo yeah, about it's been it, spoken about, yeah, before. where someone had said, Oh, actually, I wasn't really uncomfortable with the racial dynamics in this film. But at the same time, yeah, I do completely get what you mean in the sense of like, well, a lot of this is improvised. The actors themselves have a lot of kind of control over what the way that the story went, and also there is, I suppose, the other fact that obviously, as I was just saying, the dance styles used are were invented by black communities in America, and so to some mm. extent, you could also say. Well, you know, why shouldn't just because you might be like, obviously, you can't expect all representation to be representations of good people only. And so you could also argue the other way and be like, okay, well, why would you? This is a film about people doing bad things. Why would you want to take away the ballroom and the voguing, etc.? Why would you want to have them portrayed by a load of white dancers? just so that you can say that you haven't represented anyone in a negative way. But I just think and it's that's the fact an even that, worse outcome. No, exactly. I just think it's interesting the fact that because there's about 20 characters in a whole film, there seems to be such patterns in the way that different mm. characters end up on different ends of kind of the moral spectrum. But I think, it, yeah, it's an open question and it's not one that I would want to come to a conclusion on. But it's an important one to talk about, I think, because like you said... It's it's the freedom to representation that involves um, characters doing bad things, but then the, the actions of the characters don't become innate to the depiction slash representation itself. It's about having that freedom for them to choose to to, to to perform in a way that's not innate or caused by, for example, the color of their skin, their sexuality. Mm. That's a freedom in of itself, and that's a, that's an important thing of in, in of itself. you see Suspiria in the VHS cabinet at the beginning? No, I didn't. When they're getting their audition. Ah. Yeah, so a, a nice little detail is when when they're having their audition tapes, which I which I think also acts as like functions as quite a, a nice little reference to perhaps the director himself watching the auditions of the dancers before he makes the film. You know, you wonder who's watching the tapes. Mm. I think it might be Gaspar Noé because littered around the um the outside of the the TV screen are loads of copies of VHSs of Suspiria and Possession and all the other films yeah. that influence Climax. And I think that's a really nice way to begin the the film with those little hints of, yeah, it might, it's going to be a bit of this and it's going to be a bit of that, you know, and these are the, these are the works that I owe this film to. It's almost like a, an homage. Well, I guess that just about concludes our discussion of the 2018 film Climax and with that, our series on dance in horror. So next week, we're hoping to bring you an episode all about the 2021 film by Prano Bailey Bond, Censor. So with that, next week, we are hoping to start a meta horror series all about horror films about horror films in the film industry and so we'd love to see you there thank you so much for listening 